Welcome to the Why We Serve podcast from way out west in wonderful wide open Wyoming. And while the deer and the antelope play, we will ask the question and hopefully answer it, why we serve. Hugh, how are you doing today? Doing well. Just wrapping up Affordable Housing Awareness Week last week and we'll get into a quick rundown of that in, in a second. But doing well, no complaints. Trying to put the, the cap on last week and carry some reflections over for how to improve for next year. Yeah. So for our listeners out there, we're recording today, June 29th. Last week was Affordable Housing Awareness Week here in Cheyenne, a week full of events about really the crisis we're facing here in Cheyenne is that we are about 6,000 units shy of what we need as far as affordable housing and homes to the home, the, the workforce and everyone who lives here in Cheyenne. So it was a great week. Hugh, if you had to pick your favorite event from last week, what would it be? Well, I, I would say our open house at the Veterans Build site was excellent. We had a series of fantastic speeches by Christy Rubin from the VA, Marcy Kindred, our homeowner's realtor, Charles Bloom, director of planning at the city, and our credit union partners, all gave fantastic speeches. And our, our homeowner himself, Navy veteran Thomas Redding spoke, and I think it really struck a note talking about all the issues that veterans face, especially in a community like Cheyenne that has a, a very large veteran population. So that that has to be the highlight of the week for me. How are you, Dan? Well, I would like to say that the the highlight was hearing the Josh Gonzalez band cover a Sublime song that I really like. That was really cool on Thursday evening. But um, I I think. The way the week ended with the economic benefits to affordable housing panel was really great. Again, a great panel of those heavily involved with the situation and, and trying to work through the barriers to them and also showing, hopefully showing that affordable housing is not only a necessity, but it, it's a benefit to our community and really helps not only those who need a decent place to live, but it helps the community in general as well. And I think that's one thing that people don't quite understand sometimes, in my opinion. I think that's well put. And do you have the uh, numbers yet on the fundraising from the past week? Not yet. Last time we counted, it was edging towards a thousand. So that's good. Not quite as much as I was hoping for personally, but you know, the, the week I think was a success because, you know, it was affordable housing awareness week. And I thought everyone involved did a great job of bringing that awareness to the front of the week. So I, I, I would call it a success. Certainly there, we generated a ton of media attention to the issues of affordable housing and housing insecurity. And really that awareness aspect, I think, shined through throughout the week. Absolutely. And, and I'll add one other thing that was really great and we got a lot of good feedback from was the Loveland Habitat and Loveland Housing Authority presentation and the partnership they showed and how they're fighting their issue of affordable housing. I thought that was really well recepted by the, the public as well. And a big thanks to Jeff and Cindy for coming up from Loveland to do that for us. So, Agreed. Well, speaking of housing, our guest today works for an organization which in Spanish literally means house, and that is CASA. Sarah Urbanic serves as the executive director of CASA of Laramie County. And to those unfamiliar with the acronym, CASA is Court Appointed Special Advocates for Children. 
It's an unpleasant reality, but every year, millions of children in the U.S. and hundreds in our own community are abused, neglected, abandoned, or placed in the foster system through no fault of their own. Eventually, many of these children find themselves before a judge who will decide on their future and try to facilitate their development into happy, mature, and productive adults. Properly representing a child's long-term welfare is no small task, and that is where CASA's staff and volunteers step in. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Hugh. Of course. Thanks for, thanks for joining us this afternoon. To kick things off, could you talk a little bit about Casa of Laramie County's development since it was established in August of 2002 and the results that your organization has been able to achieve since then? Yeah, so CASA started in 2002. It was first founded, I guess, by Lindy Kirkbride, was was the first person who took up the torch here in Laramie County and started fighting for there to be a CASA of Laramie County here. CASA advocates have served over a thousand cases since that time, and of, of those thousand cases, nearly half of them have occurred in the last five years. So we have become more and more involved, especially in the most recent years. Today, we have roughly 133 children in foster care in Laramie County due to abuse or neglect, and CASA advocates are serving 85 of those 133 children. We really have found that studies with where there's a CASA advocate involved, those children have been more likely to succeed in school, to find a safe and permanent home, and um, are half as likely to re-enter foster care. And so we have seen that with those studies and just with the benefits of having CASA, the need has grown more. And so we're excited that we're serving 85 of those kiddos, but that still means that there are several of them out there that are still in need. And we simply just don't have enough advocates here to, to provide for all of those kiddos. But it is a goal of ours to hopefully see that one day where we're serving every kiddo that comes into care. That is an admirable goal to strive towards. And, you know, I think possibly there's a lot of misconceptions or misunderstandings floating around about the foster care and judicial systems. And so could you perhaps speak to clearing up some of these misunderstandings about the foster care system in, in Laramie County? Well, I think in general, there's a lot of misconceptions that float around and a lot of times about foster care kids themselves. A lot of times people think that these kiddos are bad, that they're juvenile delinquents or runaways, when actually most of the kids that come into foster care come into foster care due to abuse or neglect. And so through no fault of their own, it could be that their parents are using, you know, abusing substances in their home and it's an unsafe home. Sometimes these children are abandoned and so they don't have anybody to take care of them, anything like that, or obviously physical or sexual abuse can occur to them, which is obviously things that are not their fault. Another misconception that we often hear is that a lot of people believe that the parents are just bad parents for the kids, the kids who ended up in foster care, that their biological parents are bad parents. And again, not always the case. Sometimes parents make poor decisions or mistakes in their parenting that get caught and seen by law enforcement or other officials that might take a child into custody. And so therefore, they just need help and resources to kind of learn how to do better themselves. Also, oftentimes, those parents have grown up in very abusive, more traumatic homes themselves. And so they've never really learned how to 
parent in a different way than how they were raised as children. And so that cycle just continues on. And so giving those families resources really can help bring them into a place where they are much better equipped to provide for their kiddos long-term. And then there's also the idea too, kind of like what you guys were talking about regarding affordable housing and everything like that. Sometimes kiddos are found in, in foster care because of neglect that stems from poverty. And so it's food insecurities, it's housing insecurities, those kinds of things impact those children and those kids can come into foster care because of those reasons. And it's not that the parents aren't trying, it's just simply that they don't have the resources necessarily to, to provide as well as they need to be. Sarah, I think that's a great point saying that, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily neglect or abuse, but it's just the situation that the family themselves is in. And if they are having to choose, especially speaking of, of housing, you know, whether to be at home with their kids and take care of them or having to work another job just to be able to pay rent, you know, that really factors into the whole situation. Right, right. Because you think about it, like I, my heart went out to people during the pandemic because there was a lot of parents who, when the pandemic hit and school shut down, their jobs didn't stop. But now you have a five-year-old at home and you run the risk of being neglectful of that five-year-old if you leave them home alone. But if you don't and you don't go to work, well, now you can't pay for your housing, your food, or any of those things. And so then what, what do those families do? And so it was a really, that can be a really tough thing to figure out what choices to make. And so it's not that they're bad parents. It's just that sometimes resources are lacking and there's just struggles that happen. And speaking of the pandemic, have you found that the pandemic created some different in-kind struggles for, for your work? Now, if I'm correct, the state's guardian ad litem office, I received significant budget cuts last summer, possibly increasing the likelihood that children will go without counsel in these abuse and neglect cases. Could, could you perhaps speak to those cuts and, and the effect that it's had on CASA? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes without saying that the pandemic was hard for everybody this year. Um, it faced a lot of unique struggles. A lot of nonprofits weren't able to fundraise those kinds of things. Then we also saw amidst the pandemic was also these big state budgets that came that impacted the Guardian Litem's office, DFS, the DA's office. I mean, all of those agencies were feeling those cuts. And despite feeling those cuts, they still, it doesn't change the amount of work that they have to do. So there's still the work that's there and it's a, it's a struggle. So CASA has seen that as well. We were blessed in the fact that we are a partner of United Way. And so we do receive funding from them as well as we receive VOCA funding from the federal government. And we had really great, amazing donors that still donated throughout the pandemic. So we were really blessed in that way. Where we did see a struggle, though, was that cases stopped coming in when the pandemic happened. There was a period of time where people just simply didn't have eyes on kiddos, and so there weren't any reports being made. And so we didn't see those kids coming into care, not that the abuse wasn't there. And then we saw a huge influx then as school started again, that kids started coming back into care and things like that. And so we got hit hardest with our advocates. There was a lot of advocates who couldn't continue on during the pandemic. So we lost several advocates in that way. So we saw a huge struggle of all of a sudden we had this influx of cases and we were also losing advocates. And so that was some of our biggest struggles 
it's just the volunteers that we needed to continue on, on to be able to serve the kids that we work with. So that was that was hard. However, we have luckily since fall of last year, we have trained 19 new advocates. So that is fantastic. We're starting to slowly build those numbers up. I'm feeling really optimistic about it. And so, yeah, I think that's really it. That was our, our biggest struggles there. And like we said, the fundraising was hard for everybody last year. And so there was definitely hits to the budget and, and you know, not making as much as you'd hope for, but enough that we still kept our doors open and, and we continued working throughout that entire time. Our advocates got creative in different ways that they were going to visit kids, whether it be we had some of them who would do like the little drive-by parade with signs and hooping and hollering. We had others that sent care packages and cards, Zoom phone calls, maybe seeing the kiddo through a screen door and, and just letting them know that you were still there. And so we had to get creative in some of the ways that we were doing things but we felt it was really important to still be as heavily as involved as we possibly could be. And that is great that, you know, despite the challenges that, that you guys were able to stay involved, because I'm sure that was very important for the kids to still feel that support. Yeah, absolutely. So according to Casa of Laramie County's website, you first became a CASA advocate in Georgia in 2013. How were you introduced to the nonprofit and what was your experience prior to getting involved or what made you want to become an advocate? Yeah, so it's a hard story, but in 2013, I found myself, I, my neighbor had shot his wife and his five-year-old daughter before committing suicide. And so I was the first person on scene with that. And so as I was sitting there with this little girl who had been shot by her parent, Um, And really just waiting for paramedics, which seemed like hours. I'm sure it was only a matter of minutes, but it seemed really, really long. I found myself trying then and afterwards, I found myself struggling with understanding how that kind of stuff happens. I had always known, obviously, that domestic violence and child abuse existed, but they weren't a part of my world. And so it always seemed like something that happened to other people. And then it was right there. It was across the street from my house. And it was kind of a a harsh reality that it really happens everywhere. It's not just in that one poor neighborhood or things like that. It's not, there's no socioeconomic boundaries to child abuse or domestic violence. There's none of that. And so it happens across the board. And as I sat there afterwards, I kind of did a lot of thinking of how does this happen? Why does it happen? And then as, as a lot of times things do, more news came out after that, that this family had been involved with DFS in a previous state. And, and I was just bothered by this idea that this child was kind of left alone in this home with parents where there was substance abuse and obviously this violence that occurred to the point that this child almost lost her life. And God bless it. She did not. She survived. And so did mom. And that was incredibly beautiful. But in that moment, I realized I wanted to do something for those kids. I wanted those kids to have somebody in their corner really fighting for them. So I took, like anybody does nowadays, took to Google to see what options there were. And the first thing I came up was Casa of the Lapaha Judicial Circuit, which is where I live down in Georgia. And so I called them and I said, listen, I want to know about your program. And and tell me about this and, and what can I do to make a difference? And so we talked and I decided to become an advocate. And so I took the training and 
got sworn in and became an advocate down in Georgia. So it was super exciting. And I've been since, since 2013. And CASA has had such a place in my heart that I've stayed involved with them since 2013. And so it's really exciting. Well, first off, that that is quite the story. And thank you for, unfortunately, it, it, it took something like that to get involved. But thank you for, for getting involved and staying involved and not only becoming an advocate, but now you are the director of the Casa of Laramie County. So thank you for that. And to our listeners, just give a little history of Casa on, on a national level. How that idea caught on. Yeah, so Casa started quite quite some time ago. It was back in 1977. Well, it started a little bit before in 76, the idea started kind of festering around with a judge in Seattle who found himself having to make decisions on cases where he didn't feel like he had quite enough information. And he was really, really torn by that. And so he came up with this idea if he could just have somebody there for the child that wasn't the attorney, that wasn't DFS, that wasn't any of those folks, just somebody there to look at that child's needs and give him a little extra information, he felt like that would really improve it. So in 1977 was the first CASA program that was established. By 1982, there was 88 CASA programs. And now today we have over 987 CASA programs and almost over 100,000 volunteers. And so we are in almost every single state, 49 states and DC. There's one state that's holding out still, but So that's kind of the nutshell version of CASA. In some states, CASA are also the guardian ad litems. Here in the state of Wyoming, we are separate. A guardian ad litem in the state of Wyoming is an attorney and CASAs are not. We are just community volunteers who are trained about things that are the best interest of the child and how to work with the children in the system and everything like that. But in other states, a guardian ad litem is what a CASA advocate is. So. Very nice. I've I've known about CASA, you know, on a local level for quite some time now, not only here in Laramie County, but back when we lived in Texas through through Angie's work being a legal aid attorney. She worked with CASA quite a bit. And so that's interesting. I've never known how it got started. So thanks for sharing that. Well, well, Sarah, when I got to know you just a few years ago, you were working at Climb Wyoming and you seemed really excited about working for Climb. And, and then this opportunity at CASA came along and you made the move. And so what what is it about CASA of Laramie County that made you want to take not only that jump from CLIMB, which is a wonderful organization, but take on more of the responsibility and transfer from advocate to board of directors to now the executive director? Well, it's it's funny. I get passionate about my work. I, I want to help people. That's what I care about doing. And so when I started as an advocate, it's because I wanted to help kids. And, and that never went away. But when I moved here, I started out as an advocate here as well. But I started working for the district attorney's office. And to kind of just avoid any chances of any kind of conflicts of interest, I stopped being an advocate and joined as a board member just to kind of avoid any kind of conflicts that could arise from that. In doing so, I, I knew I wanted to stay on. I knew I had to support CASA some way, somehow. And so that was my way was being a board member. And then after the DA's office, I went to CLIMB and I continued to be a board member. And then Carol, who was my was the previous executive director, she had decided that she was going to retire. And I kind of fiddled around with the idea of whether or not I would take the job. And 
because I loved where I was at at Climb. I loved, I loved Climb and I loved what I was doing there, but I kind of piddled around with the idea and some doors opened and some things kind of, I think it was just the push I needed to say, nope, that's where you belong. And it, and honestly, I used to always tell Carol that someday I was going to be the executive director. I just didn't, I didn't expect it to be yet, but here I am. <laughs> well, very nice. And now, so we've talked about some of the ways that you have been involved with CASA, but for the general public looking to get involved and help out the organization, it seems like there are two main options, either as an advocate or as a donor. And and why don't we start with being an advocate? Because we've been talking about sort of what it means to be an advocate, and, and they are crucial to the operation of the organization. So could you possibly outline the knowledge and skills as well as the expectations, training, and support that comes along with being an advocate for CASA? It's probably one of my most favorite things about CASA advocates is that they are literally just everyday people from all walks of life. We have everybody from somebody holding PhDs all the way down to just high school graduates and and stay-at-home moms, grandparents, retired, not employed, going to school, I mean, full-time employees, just such an array of, of different people. And so the best thing about CASA is you don't have to have a particular background or anything like that. You just have to have a passion to care about wanting to make a difference in the lives of these kiddos. And then what happens is if you're ever interested, call us at the office, we'll set you up with training. You partake in a, in a training that we do. Typically, what we've been doing is twice a week for four weeks. You go through the training for several hours each day and then or night. We do both day and night trainings. And at the end of it, you'll be sworn in by a judge. During that training, you're going to learn about things like domestic violence, child abuse, neglect. You're going to learn about diversity and socioeconomics, things like poverty and how it impacts individuals and just tons of amazing knowledge that you get to learn. And then once you complete the training, you're sworn in by a judge. Typically, Judge Campbell is the one who performs our ceremonies for us. But once you're sworn in, then we'll start looking to assign you to a case. While you go through your first case, you will receive a ton of support from the CASA staff here, walking alongside you for court hearings, helping you get prepared for court reports, how do you visit the kiddo for the first time, and just all the different things that go into it. You get a ton of support from the staff as you walk through all of that. And then every month we offer some kind of training, whether it be coming up this month, we're doing QPR suicide prevention training. Last month we did training on adverse childhood experiences. Um, we just do a lot of different trainings on different topics that help grow that knowledge that you're working with. Also, when you first go through the training, you're learning about the juvenile justice system and, and what that looks like and how how that's different from the criminal justice system and things like that. And, and then so we just, every month you do a training with us, you do have to complete 12 continual education hours a year. You can do that all at once or through different monthly trainings. And then really just checking in with the kid. We ask that you see the kid at least once a month. We have some folks who do it once a month. We have some that do it three times a week. It just depends on your availability to do it. But we ask that you see the kids at least once a month. There's court hearings, MDTs, those family team meetings. 
that if you can't make them because you're working or anything like that, we'll attend on your behalf and then update you afterwards on it. So we really try to be as flexible as we can with our advocates because they're really doing it for free. They're they're just giving their hearts and times to the kiddos and just kind of learning about the kid and family and, and what supports they need and, and how can they be successful and, and have a permanent home that's safe, you know. Excellent. And and shout out to all the CASA advocates. That is very impressive that they're dedicating their time on behalf of these kids. It's it's really admirable. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. Like I think that's what gets me so excited about CASA is that I mean you take people from our community who just genuinely care about kids and want the best for them. And they're willing to give up parts of their, you know, their time at home or things like that for this kiddo who really, really needs it. And it makes a huge difference for that kid. And so I think it's just, that's what gets me excited about it. We have rock star advocates. Excellent. And so one last question here to wrap up, Sarah, in your service, to CASA as a, either an advocate, board member, or executive director, is there a particular case or child that you can speak to that really has left an impact on you and that you might want to share with our listeners? You know, honestly, in this job, I can remember every single one of my cases that I had as an advocate. I can remember the kids. I can remember the families, what was happening in the case, everything. I can I can remember all of that. But every case is different, and it's hard to say, oh, my gosh, this is the case that stands out above all of them. Being in the role of his, as executive director, I have the pleasure of getting to hear all of my advocates' stories, which is, to me, the most amazing thing ever because it's them who are really doing the most incredible work. We had just recently some advocates who the foster care kiddos were living in a different state for a pre-adoption placement. And those advocates drove eight hours to go visit those kids and spend time with them, which is just incredible. I mean, you talk about how amazing that was and it was one of the kiddos' birthdays, and so they were super excited to get to see their CASA advocates again and just made a, a difference for them. We have advocates who years later are getting invited to go to a kid's graduation or previous kids who grow up to be adults who have babies and bring their babies by to meet their CASA advocate. And I mean, to me, that is just such a testimony to the impact that that CASA advocate had on that child they care enough to have them in their big moments of their lives. Just the other day, we had one where the little boy is sitting at the crisis center and he doesn't have anybody to come visit him. And so he called his CASA advocate and he said, can you please just come, come by and see me? Just come spend some time with me because that's his person. He doesn't have mom and dad can't come see him. You know, he doesn't have anybody else but he knows he can call his CASA advocate and his CASA advocate will come be there, you know? And I think those are the things that stick to me about it. It's just that it matters enough to those kids that they want these people involved in their lives. And I'd love to say that that's every case is like you make this lifelong connection and some of them you do, some of them you don't, but you're making a difference no matter how long you're involved with those kids. And that to me is just amazing. 
Very cool. That's good stories to hear that the advocates not only play a small role, but they play a larger role in these kids' lives that last for quite a while. So that's really cool. Well, and even parents too, you have advocates who will build that connection with the parents that they'll come back to them later and say, hey, we're, we're still doing good. We have an advocate who dad got daughter back and she's doing awesome. He's doing awesome. And they live in a different state, but they still on occasion, dad calls the CASA advocate to just say, hey, just want to let you know we're thinking of you or, hey, we're getting ready to do this big, you know, family gathering. We would love for you to join us. And and even those family connections are being made. And so not even just with the kids, but with bio parents or foster families. I mean, it's truly amazing the bonds that can be made through this. That That's good to hear. And it's amazing work that you all are doing. So keep up the good work. It's been great talking to you this afternoon. We're, we're, we'll wrap up right now. But before we do that, if I remember right, CASA has a big event coming up after Wild Gives, if I remember right. And if I'm not, you can correct me. But if, if you'd like to, you could fill in our listeners about how they can help out. Yeah, so we've got Wild Gives, which is super exciting. So hold that date, July 14th. That's a great way to benefit a lot of nonprofits here in Laramie County. But we do, CASA has our big event on September 10th, and that will be at 5.30 at the new Blue Federal Credit Union building. And we are going to have hopefully live band, beer gardens, silent auction items, games, and really what our focus is this year is to celebrate the advocates and all of the amazing work that they did in 2020 with getting creative on spending time with those kids and advocating for them in a time that was just chaos. And so we really want to just celebrate those folks. And so, of course, it is a fundraiser. We do want to make money, but we do want to celebrate the amazing advocates and how they they were rock stars and, and continue to be the heartbeat of CASA. Awesome. Well, we look forward to that. And we also look forward to Wild Gives Day. You know, you've been beyond instrumental and amazing with organizing the Laramie County Collaborative with that. Lots of good stuff coming up for the Laramie County nonprofits Proclamation signing with Mayor Collins and the Laramie County Commissioners are July 7th at 1 p.m. And then Wild Gives Day itself is July 14th. And keep an eye out for information about the cafe and confectionery crawl. You want to fill everybody in on that really quick before we get out of here? Yeah. Yeah, well, first, check out our event. It's the Wild Gives for Laramie County. Check out that event on Facebook. There will be tons of information posted there. But the coffee and confectionery crawl is we have partnered with several local businesses here in Cheyenne who are doing an amazing job of supporting all of the almost 55 nonprofits that are signed up for Wild Gives by giving a percentage of their proceeds to the nonprofits participating in Wild Gives. So we will be out at various locations that day trying to get more foot traffic in there. And then also it's a great opportunity for any of you guys to meet all the different nonprofits, learn what they're about, and pick a nonprofit to make a donation to for Wild Gives. Perfect. Should be a lot of fun. Should be a good day. And uh, we look forward to it. Sarah, thanks again for your time. It was a pleasure having you on this afternoon. No, thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And to our audience out there, make the magic happen in your community.